Hold the levy, hold the levy. Well, let me explain about that song. My son's band, Super Brick, written, performed, and produced it and released it actually last um, last fall. Um, I believe it was in October. Um, but anyways, I was reminded of that song. You know, as last night I was going through some old articles um, in regard to the Barbara Blackstone case. And for any new listeners, Barbara Blackstone was a teacher from New Lisbon, Wisconsin, who in 1987, July of 1987, came up missing from her rural Linden Station home and found a month later her body over 70 miles away in Lafayette County outside of Argyle. Her body was skeletal remains and was found by um, a hunter scouting the woods there. And her murder, because she was murdered, has remained unsolved ever since. Now, this case is fascinating. There's a lot of stuff to it. You, I mean, on the surface, it doesn't look like much. It really looks like she was just abducted, killed, dumped, nothing else. That's all we officially really know. Because it is actually considered an open case. But, as I've explained in previous episodes, there was a lot of interesting events surrounding (laughs) that county. And in that area, you know, the years after she came up missing, like actually almost a year to the day after she came up missing, there was an attempted abduction in Mauston, Wisconsin, which is just, you know, about 10 miles up the road from where she lived. And um, in that case, the woman got away, and there was a description of a van and the man who who allegedly took her. Then in 1988, so that was 1988. Then in 1989, February of 89, on the other side of the county, um, outside of New Lisbon, actually outside of Clifton, which is just up the road from New Lisbon off of County Highway A. I mean, when I say up the road, out there, that means, you know, about a five-minute drive. Um, Five, ten-minute drive. A woman was found by two Amish kids walking home from school, and her body was found, like, in a culvert. It turned out that um, she was actually from Chicago. It is a case that many people refer to as Frozen Betty, unfortunately, but that's what many, especially in law enforcement, have have kind of coined it. Um, yeah, there were a lot of interesting things happening in that county. But the most interesting one is actually this case from 1991. Now, remember I said that woman was from Chicago, Frozen Betty. Okay? And remember that I talked about a van and the attempted abduction. Um, in this 1991 case, it dealt with a man by the name of Joseph D. Schmidt who was originally from the Chicagoland area, whose family moved out to good old Juneau County. And in 1978, in the Chicago area, he was charged with, um, he would have been about 20, 21 at the time, I can't remember offhand, uh, kidnapping two hitchhikers, two young teens, very, very young teens, holding them hostage overnight, basically, and sexually assaulting the one. Um, because the girl, one of the girls wouldn't testify, 
that other parents wouldn't let their daughter testify, and those um, charges ended up getting dismissed. But there is written, published articles about it. So, 1991, that man, Joseph D. Schmidt, was charged, convicted, and sentenced of what it was known as the sex slave case. And the reason I find this case extremely, extremely interesting in relation to Barbara Blackstone is because in this case, there was a van. Again, he held somebody hostage, this time a 19-year-old woman for four days, brutally sexually assaulting her, sadistically. Um, yeah, it was quite the case. She was from Chicago. She was a young, troubled girl that he befriended in Chicago and offered to take her up to Wisconsin so she could rebuild her life and get away from, you know, bad influence. He was going to be her savior, you know, and knowing a little bit more about her off the record, she fit, she totally fit the, the profile of someone who's preyed upon. Okay. We'll leave it at that. But, um... So, yeah, so he was charged, convicted, and sentenced in the sex slave case of brutally raping this young woman. And um, some little things in the trial kind of came out, including also while he was in jail awaiting um, trial, he was charged with something else that's kind of what made me think of hold the levy, hold the levy, and why put that clip in there. Rather than surmising it, I'm going to go by the published word here. Um, we're always safer with the published word, especially when it's an open case. So this this article appeared in April 11 on 19 in 1991. It's from the Juneau County Star Times. And it's called Prisoner Faces New Charge. <clears throat> A prisoner in the Juneau County Jail already facing trial for kidnapping a new Lisbon woman and keeping her as his sex slave, was charged Friday in Juneau County Circuit Court with soliciting a fellow prisoner to kidnap the woman. Joseph D. Schmidt, 33, of Highway 1216 Linden Station. Now, I gotta say, that Linden Station address was a new address for him up to that point actually up to supposedly the day all of this took place when he um, started holding that girl hostage, he had lived in New Lisbon. He had just moved to Linden Station, just so you know that. Anyways, Joseph D. Schmidt, 33, is accused of asking Thomas Halverson on March 1, 1st, to take the woman out of state so she could not appear in court and told Halverson to contact Schmidt's father for money with which to commit the crime. Halverson had been in jail serving a sentence for exposing himself to minors. Lovely. When Schmidt allegedly approached him a week before his release from jail. According to the complaint in the new case, Schmidt also asked Halverson to plant cocaine on the woman. Schmidt is charged with kidnapping and forcing forcing to have sex with him over a four-day period in February. Schmidt allegedly gave Halverson the woman's name and description a description of her car, the days of week and hours during which she attended classes at Western Technical College in Boston, and the name and telephone number of Schmidt's father. 
He supposedly told Halverson that by removing the woman from the state, she could not be a witness and the case against him would be dismissed. After he was released, Schmidt allegedly said he would come to wherever Halverson and the woman were, take care of her, and personally pay Halverson for the kidnapping. Schmidt was originally charged in February with false, false, I'm sorry, this is really um, a bad copy of this article, false something, inducement, and confining another without consent, both of which fall under the state's kidnapping laws, with false imprisonment and 10 counts of first-degree sexual assault against the woman. Now, interestingly enough, there's um, another article about the trial where all of this was brought up and Halverson testified. And that he referred back to him believing that Schmidt was going to kill the woman once he, you know, took her hostage somewhere. So that's holding the levy when you think about it. That's what made me think of that song, holding the levy. Things are about to break. Let's hold it. Quite disturbing. Very disturbing. But, um, yeah. So that's just one thing. And then there was another thing about the sex slave case that really brings me back to not so much Blackstone, but in a roundabout way. But um, the attempted abduction almost a year after Blackstone, that man was driving what commonly was referred to, especially back then, as a creeper van. Okay. That was that woman got away, um, but six months prior to that, and about seven months after, uh, um, Blackstone came up missing. Schmidt was pulled over. A vehicle search, and he was charged with a misdemeanor of concealing a uh, um, concealing a, a weapon. Now. The interesting thing about that, and this information has already been published. I published it actually in 2017 in the General County Messenger. Was I had a retired officer who contacted me when I did a series about Blackstone. He was um, distraught. He carried 30 years, some years of guilt. Because he, he knew that night when, he, when Schmidt was pulled over and got that concealed weapon charge. But that van, he said, there was something extremely suspicious about everything inside of it, including an odor that was coming from it. And inside of it was, I believe, bondage magazines, chains, handcuffs, stuff like that. Um, that van was supposed to be impounded, but never ended up reaching an impound lot. Actually, when law enforcement was called away from the scene, that van somehow ended up Supposedly, and this is all supposed because there's no official documentation that I can find because, you know, it is what it is. But that van um, supposedly ended up in a fire department's garage without anybody knowing while it was, why it was there. It was waiting for the Department of Criminal Investigations from Madison, Wisconsin to come up to process the van because this person who told me this really felt that could be connected to Blackstone. But because nobody at the fire department knew why that van was there and it wasn't properly secured or whatever, 
They were milling about it. So when DCI, the Department of Criminal Investigations, came up, they couldn't do anything because everything was contaminated. It wasn't secured. So that never, not much happened from that, okay? Now, in the Schmidt trial for the sex slave case, there's a van mentioned there. Now, I've learned that he loved vans. He, he, he drove vans, sometimes his own and a lot of times not his own. Um, but inside the van in the sex slave case is where I believe the handcuffs and some other materials related to the brutal rape that uh, he did of this young lady were located. So now I have a question, and this really made me wonder, who the hell drives around with handcuffs and chains and stuff like that? That's kind of scary, and it's kind of concerning, and it just doesn't make sense to me that an everyday person, an innocent person, just drives around with all this stuff in his van unless he's planning on doing something. So you couple that with, you know, and I know people, inmates, prisoners in, in prisons and inmates in jail, a lot of times they'll make something up to make them look good. So I get that this Halverson coming forward and saying all this stuff against Schmidt um, may lack credibility to some, but to me... It's more about holding that levy. Because in the trial, he said that, you know, he at first didn't come forward because he didn't want to be considered a snitch. Now, we know what happens to prison snitches. But I got to say, we can use some snitches in the Blackstone case. And I get the feeling, now that we're taking a really good look and putting it out there for everybody to look at and, and to remember and recall... There's someone out there who's feeling that levy is about to break. The pressure is mounting. And all I have to say, if this is you, snitch. Please snitch. Because, how do I say this? Um, I'm trying to think of the words right now. This case, you know, it's not only unsolved for Barbara who's gotten no closure, no closure whatsoever, no justice. She died, she was killed, she was murdered, dumped, no justice. But the rumors that I talked about in the last episode, you know, it wasn't just her husband who had rumors surfacing around him and people saying, oh, it must have been the husband, did you hear this, did you hear that? But there's been other people too. There's been other people, and I was reminded of that actually today because I was contacted from someone who um, grew up in the area of Bar- that Barbara did in Argyle. And um, she wanted to ask me if I was familiar with a rumor that was going on down there when Barbara was found. And at first I didn't recall, but then after she told me what that rumor was, I'm like, yeah, I do remember hearing that somewhere along the years of, of covering this story that there was a, a man down there who everybody thought did it. Um, 
something about he was a bit of an odd duck, a bit of a loner, you know, and that he was in the bar one night and said something odd. And then all of a sudden, Barbara's found. And so people in that community, you know, started saying, well, he did it. He had to have done it. So, yes, that man actually died. He's passed away. But he had to live his entire life with those rumors floating around in a community. And then you got Barbara's husband, who's had to live with rumors about him floating around, everybody pointing fingers. So, looking at this case, knowing about those rumors, knowing that there's some others, and then knowing about Schmidt, the van, you know, the attempted abduction in 1988, almost a year after Blackstone came up, which dealt with a man in a van, who that one's never been solved. Then you got that woman from Chicago who was found in 89, February of 89, by two Amish kids on the other side of the county. Like I said, she was from Chicago. She was a troubled young woman. That seems to be a theme. And she was found dead and dumped. It makes me wonder, maybe all those rumors need to stop and we need to really, as I've said before, concentrate on the facts. And sometimes these facts are extremely hard to swallow. I get that. Actually, they can be embarrassing for law enforcement even. Like I said, from that man who talked about pulling over Schmidt in 88 and get he got that concealed carry and what was in that van and all of that. That's embarrassing for law enforcement. If that actually did happen, did they let evidence slip away? Evidence that could actually give Barbara closure and... Evidence that would stop the rumors from other people having their lives destroyed. It's embarrassing. I get that. But there's got to be someone out there that knows something. So I'm reaching out to you. Be a snitch. Stop holding the levy. Let it break. I also found this article last night. Because this is what I do late at night. I, I sit up all night and research. I was actually on the Memphis's library system because I live in Memphis now. And I was just researching their newspaper archives and I ran across this one. It's from April 18th, 1998. Murder Mystery Lives On. It ran in the Capital Times out of Madison. And I'm just going to read it to you because, you know, I hope, I'm hoping the levy isn't being held because people are embarrassed. That's all I have to say. But it says, giving up has never been an option. Cornball, as it may sound, it nonetheless is true, says Steve McQuaid, investigator for the Lafayette County Sheriff's Department. Now let me interject here. Lafayette County is the county where Barbara was found. Her skeletal remains. And if the thug or thugs who murdered the new Lisbon High School teacher, Barbara Blackstone, back in the summer of 1987 and dumped her body in a wooded area near Argyle, just six miles from the farm where she grew up, think he's gotten away with something. Well, don't get too comfortable, the 21-year veteran suggests during an interview from his isolated courthouse office. Sooner or later, somebody's going to get real case of conscience, he says, and they're going to talk. It may not happen in my lifetime, but it's going to happen.
Frustrated? Delusioned? Sure. He's felt those emotions many times over the last 11 years, McQuaid acknowledges. Especially at the very beginning of his investigation, when he spent three entire months crisscrossing the state interviewing some some 50 potential suspects. 50 potential suspects. Now, bet there's rumors about all of them floating around out there. That's just my own opinion. Article goes on to say, but he's confident of one other thing, he says. I'm sure we probably talked to or came awfully close to the suspect. That McCade, a 48-year-old Darlington native, still feels so intensely about the case may come as a surprise to those who had long since forgotten about Blackstone. One of three women who were murdered in the southern Wisconsin during the terrifying two months period of that summer. Perhaps McCade surmises that's because the two other cases were solved in a relatively short time. Terry Volbrick, a Sauk Sauk City mechanic, was convicted of the rape and shooting of Angela K. Hackle, 18, of Lone Rock, whose body was found chained to a tree west of Sauk City in June of 87. And Kim Brown, a former Oxford construction worker, was convicted in the rape and murder of Linda Nackreiner, 28, of Del Prairie in Adams County in July of that year. Now, both of those counties, just so you know, where Sauk City is and also... um, Adams County, border Juneau County. So yeah, it was terrifying summer for people in that area. Brown, in fact, was later interviewed as a possible suspect in the Blackstone case, but he had an alibi the day the 31-year-old Blackstone disappeared after mowing the lawn of her rural Linden Station home. In truth, investigators in the Blackstone murder have faced Enormous odds from day one, McQuaid says. That's because law enforcement officials committed a comedy of errors. After the victim's husband, Tom Blackstone, first reported her missing the evening of July 9th, 1987. Understand, he's not pointing fingers, McQuaid says, but had Juneau County authorities immediately treated the case as a possible abduction, who knows what might have happened. Instead, he says, they looked at it like most agencies would. She's an adult, and adults take off on her own. Now, we talked about that in this last episode about everything that happened that day, how the sheriff felt there was no foul play, but that officer... Who told me about the van from 88 disagreed with the sheriff. 27 days later, a hunter noticed what appeared to be human remains in a wooded area in eastern Lafayette County, not far from Yellowstone Lake. But the nude body was so badly decomposed that pathologists needed to study dental records before confirming it was Blackstone. There was, McCaid said, one other problem. Though there were signs that the body had suffered extreme trauma, it was a violent death. Pathologists were never able to pinpoint the cause of death, but they knew the body had suffered extreme trauma. 
That's sad. So so investigators not only had gotten a ridiculously late start in the case, but had virtually no evidence to work with. Almost as troubling, McCade said, was the wave of hysteria and paranoia that swept through the area over the next few months. Not surprisingly, there was also speculation that the murders were the work of a serial killer who happened to be driving through the state. Hmm, Chicago through to Wisconsin, maybe. Who knows? Hmm. McCade says he never took those rumors seriously, although he didn't completely root them out either. The thing is, Barbara Blackstone was a teacher, a very trusting person, he points out. It's very possible someone could have approached her, asked her for directions, and had been on top of her before she even knew what happened. More likely, McCade says, Blackstone knew her abductor, but it almost certainly, almost certainly wasn't her husband, the last person to see her alive, because he was working that day at Evergreen Lawn Service in Portage. In fact, Tom Blackstone became so distraught that he ended up selling the home that he and his wife built on 38 acres and moving to another part of the state. He was a real quiet man for the most part, the investigator says, but also a very, very smart man. And I think this thing just really knocked him for a loop. It also devastated the victim's father, Herbert Fisher, a former, my tongue tied today, I apologize to all of you, a former Monona resident who repeatedly chastised the Juneau County Sheriff's Department for bungling the case before he died of a heart ailment in 94 at the age of 75. Nonetheless, Juneau County authorities, like McCain, insist they haven't given up and note that they have not one but two investigators checking out the occasional tips that still come in. Moreover, while the murder may be old news in Lafayette, it's still a fairly hot topic in Linden Station, says under Sheriff. Bob Tyler, which it is. Now, I was originally from Chicago. I moved up to Juneau County in 2002, knew about the case around 2003, 2004, started working for the paper around 2005, 2006, and people were still talking about it. But they were talking about the rumors. The rumors. Okay. Not only because it was such a highly publicized case, he says, but because Linden Station is the kind of place where everybody knows everybody else. Yes, hence the rumors. People there are always asking me if we've closed the case, Tyler says, and I tell them, no, we have not, and that's a fact. As shocking as Blackstone murder was, McCade said it rankles him that residents in rural areas continue to buy the myth that bizarre killings only occur in big cities. It's bull. They can happen in Darlington. They can happen on a street corner in Madison. People don't like to hear this, but they happen quite regularly these days, said McQuaid. McCade recently returned from a grueling 11-week training session at the FBI Academy at Quantico, Virginia, made famous in the Silence of the Lambs and now is in the process of rechecking old leads in the Blackstone case. 
He's also waiting for that one call that could change everything. I'm convinced there are people out there who know something or maybe saw something, he says. Maybe they saw a strange vehicle out in the woods and were afraid to say anything because they didn't want to get involved. And maybe now, 11 years later, it's still eating away at them and they're ready to come clean. If that's true, I'd love to hear from them, he says with a wry smile. Then the real fireworks begin. Now, like I said, this article was 1998. Here we are, 2020. And we're still waiting. We're still waiting for that snitch to stop holding the levy. We're still waiting for something to come through so Barbara gets justice. We're still waiting for that key of information, just that key of information so that these rumors can stop because they destroy people's lives. Like I continue to say, like that man from um, Argyle probably lived his whole life with speculation, like her husband living his whole life with speculation. And as this article said, there's 50 suspects. You know there's speculation around all of them. So, yeah, hold the levy. Hold the levy. Stop holding the levy. Well, it's a lot to absorb. First, let me tell law enforcement I am not out to embarrass you. I'm just out to say what happened. And I am not giving out information that hasn't already been published. So um, please understand that. It's not about you guys. I just want to share Barbara's story and try to bring justice. Keep her memory alive. Um, for anybody else, please, 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 if you have any information, be a snitch. <laughs> be a snitch. Save some lives. Save some, you know, just help people. Juno County Sheriff's Department's number is 608-847-5649. The Lafayette County Sheriff's Department is 608 776 Four eight seven zero, and the Wisconsin Department of Criminal Investigation can be reached at 608-266-1671. Report anything you know, please. It may seem little to you. It's going to be huge to others. Um, tomorrow, I will also be debuting the When I Became Free podcast channel. And the When I Became Free is a project I started many years ago as an effort to help um, survivors of abuse, child abuse, child sexual assault, domestic violence, sexual assault, um, have a vehicle to share their story, to, to empower others in a healthy manner, not for revenge, but for healing. And the When I Became Free podcast channel will concentrate on, you name it, whatever comes to mind in an, in any given day. It could be a survivor sharing their story. It could be information about resources. 
It could be about what PTSD is and and coping mechanisms, suicide prevention, you name it. We're going to talk about it because, because we're going to end the stigma, shatter stigma. If you are a survivor, there is nothing, nothing that you should ever feel ashamed about if you were abused. So that is that. Look for those announcements. You can like our, um, join the face group page that's dedicated to the, the murder case of Barbara Blackstone. You can find it under the unsolved 1987 murder case of Barbara Blackstone. I also started a Facebook page for the thankfully chewed up and spat back out blog that I've had for 12 years. Yes, it's taking me this long to create a Facebook page for that. But um, give it a like. And that's it for tonight. I'm taking my sinus infection self and probably going to go to bed here. And um, please know I appreciate you listening to me over these last three episodes. I've been rather congested. I'm sure you can hear it. Rather tongue-tied because of it. And I'm using pretty basic equipment, which hopefully will be changing within the next week. So um, these will get better. And I appreciate anybody and everybody who's stuck with me on this. We're doing it for Barbara and her family. Thank you.